Good morning and uh, happy Palm Sunday. We're excited to have you here today. Um, we're excited the sun is shining. We're excited that Rodeo the Donkey is coming. He's pretty great. Um, we're excited about the Nova Donuts. So overall, it's just a good morning. Um, but most of all, we're excited to be able to be here. Um, at Regen, we're passionate about interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. And so we just hope that that's what you experienced this morning, that your life is interrupted by his love and his grace. Um, if you are a Facebook user and you want to check in, if you use the hashtag RegenGives, our check-ins this month will go to OYO Camp, which is for um, uh, students who are deaf and hard of hearing and gives them a camp experience with other uh, young people who are experiencing the same things that they are. So we'd love for you to check in. And then um, our upcoming feast, so usually every month we do a feast where we all get to hang out and just have a meal together, but because of kind of the craziness of April, um, we've decided to do what we're going to call mini-feasts. So what we're asking this month, in the month of April, well, next month technically, is that you would get together with um, one other person or family from Regen, and you can either go out or you can have them in your home, and you can just have a mini-feast. And then there's an event on Facebook. You can post the picture there, and um, if you're really into this, you can use the hashtag mini-feast or hashtag howwefeast, because that's pretty fun too. So, But the idea of this is just that you would get to know someone here at Regen that maybe you've been interested in getting to know but just haven't had the opportunity. So if you just take one night... Um, or one lunch, I guess, in April and just invite them either over to your home or to go out to a restaurant together and just spend some time getting to know them. So we're excited about this idea and think it'll be just something fun and different for this month. Um, also coming up in April is our marriage conference, um, April 20th and 21st couples conference. I'm sorry, it's not just for married couples, it's for all couples. And we're really excited to have um, professors uh, Bob and Pam McRae from Moody Bible Institute coming. We just think it's going to be a great opportunity for you to grow your relationship, to grow um, your relationship with other couples here at Regen and from the Grace Campus. So we would love for you to register. The tickets are live. $30 um, if you're just coming as a couple for the weekend, and then $45 if you need babysitting. So we're super excited about that um, as well. And then our next one thing, so let me first of all talk about our this month's one thing. We had our egg hunt yesterday. It was an awesome day. So thankful. So many of you showed up um, to help with the actual day. So many of you took eggs home and stuffed them. We think we had probably about 125 people here um, yesterday, and it was just a lot of fun. Kids had a lot of fun, um, and so we're just super thankful. And the Lord answered our prayers about the weather because it was supposed to snow a week ago on Saturday. It was saying it was going to snow, so we're so thankful for the weather. That was so nice. Um, our next upcoming one thing is actually going to be in May, and so we're going to be doing Celebration of the Arts um, at McGuffey. So there'll be more information coming about that after Easter, but that's just May 9th if you kind of want to get that on your calendar. So I think that that is all for our announcements, so I'm going to turn it over to Aaron uh, for our offering. Hi, good morning. We're going to pass around these buckets and do offering, uh, so if you'd like to pray with me before we get back into worship. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much. Um, just for the opportunity to be here today, for the opportunity to um, worship you. Um, today as we celebrate you riding in um, on a donkey, we just wanna open the space to you. We wanna open our hearts, we wanna open our minds. We wanna invite you to ride in like you do um, and just speak to us your truth, speak to us about your love. Yeah, God, I ask that um, you would multiply what we offer today, that um, we would steward well what you have given us. Yeah, we just thank you um, for the opportunity to be generous as you were generous. Amen.
God, we welcome you into this place and turn our attention and our affection toward you this morning. God, you came to us um, on Palm Sunday meekly and humbly riding on a donkey and um, because you did that and the way you lived the rest of that week, our lives will just really never be the same. And so God, help us this morning to turn our attention to you, to see you, to really see, to really see who you are and what you want and long to do in our lives. Um, pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I am now in the on position. All right. Very good. All right, here we go. Good morning. Welcome to Regen. Oh, kids. Kids can go. With Miss Pam? Kids are out. Kids are out. Thanks for waving at me. Okay. Rodeo will be here later. Uh, If he came now, you would all be outside with Rodeo. Uh, So... Had to delay that gratification. Um, Revelation chapter 3 is where we're going to be in today. We're going to finish up this series on the seven letters this Palm Sunday. Um, Hey, just a reminder, um, you'll see, you see extra chairs in the space. There's now seating for 118, 119 actually, I think. Um, The rule in church life is that 80% full is full. And so there's going to be more chairs by Easter and Good Friday. And speaking of Easter and Good Friday, do not pull your usual, I'm going to come 10 minutes late, or I guarantee you, you will not have a seat, especially on Good Friday. Uh, what's that? Or not a seat you want. You might be in the splash zone, right? Um, Christmas candlelight, Christmas candlelight, the place was full and had this, Joey took this really beautiful picture, except the whole front row was like wide empty, as if like sitting there, I don't know makes you have to get up and preach. You know what I mean? Um, So, but seriously, Good Friday, 7 p.m., Easter Sunday here, 11.15. I would seriously encourage you to be here early because we're going to bust this place out. I would seriously encourage you to be inviting your friends and your family, especially to Easter Sunday. Um, Only about 10% of people report being invited to church on Easter. So that's pretty easy to kind of increase, right? I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just telling you the facts. Um, and so would really love for us to be inviting some of our friends and family in on that Sunday. It's going to be really great next week, and I'm really excited about it. Um, pray for me this week. I have like 14 sermons to write, I think. I don't know. One for Thursday, one for Friday, and kind of two for Sunday. So, um, But we're going to be in, in Revelation 3. And I also just want to keep reminding you about our couples conference coming up in April. I've been emailing with Bob and Pam and getting really excited to see them and for what they have to share. So if you're a couple... Come to the conference. It'll be free. And not free. It'll be fun. It's not free. (laughs) It's almost free. All right. Revelation 3. Let me pray one more time. Hey, God, thank you that you are right now trying to get our attention. Hmm. That you call us sons and daughters. Help us to see. Help us to see today. Help us to hear We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Revelation is wanting to unveil or uncover. That's what the word apocalypse means. 
unveil or uncover the simple truth that Jesus is always, always in our midst. Always in our midst. He is in our midst in the most soul-crushing, life-altering moments. He is in our midst in the most joyful, sweet moments of our lives. He is in our midst in the ordinary eating and drinking and going to work and doing your laundry life. He is in our midst. John comes to grips with this truth. John, who writes the book of Revelation, John, who is one of the best friends of Jesus, comes to grips with this truth when while he is imprisoned on the island of Patmos, he gets a vision of the resurrected Jesus. And he sees in that moment that Jesus is king. On the first Palm Sunday, Jesus was in the midst of his people, Israel, and they welcomed him into the city of Jerusalem with loud cries of celebration. Hosanna, Hosanna, they cried. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that originally meant something like you would yell when you were drowning in a pool, calling for help. Over time, by the time of Jesus, the word transformed to mean something more like what you yelled when the lifeguard was swimming toward you. From help me to help is coming, right? They're, they're crying out Hosanna because they believe Jesus to be the help that they have sought and prayed for for centuries. Uh, they're cutting palm branches off of the trees and laying their cloaks and coats on the road. This is what you did in the Greco-Roman world to welcome a conqueror into your city. They're welcoming Jesus into, in, into their city and into, and into his kingdom. And, and it's almost like, it's almost like what that happened in Cleveland when the Cavs came back after the national championship. It's also very similar to what happened at the Browns' perfect season parade. <laughs> but what's interesting about Holy Week, what's interesting about Palm Sunday, is that the shouts of celebration by Friday turn into shouts of accusation. It, it, within just a few days, Jesus, who enters into Jerusalem triumphantly on Sunday, he is killed on Friday. Uh, the joyful celebration of his life turns into a mocking celebration of his death. And this so-called king of the Jews is hung on a cross like a criminal. You know, we, we all change our minds quickly. I just did this last night. We were out to dinner with my parents. I had my heart set on the eight-ounce sirloin and baked potato. Uh, and at the very last second, I was enticed by the salmon. And so I went with the salmon. We've all changed our minds at the very last second. We have all waffled or flip-flopped just a little bit. But the people of Jerusalem, the people of Israel in this Sunday to Friday journey, it's not just waffling about what you're going to have for dinner, it's waffling and flip-flopping about the very identity of the most important person in human history. And so the question is, what happens to the people of Jerusalem from Sunday to Friday, that they, Sunday to Friday that they have such a remarkable change of heart and change of mind. I mean, why did their minds change so quickly? Why were they all for Jesus on Sunday and entirely against him on Friday? As we work through this last letter in the book of Revelation, it turns out that it explains exactly what happened on that first Palm Sunday. It diagnoses, it puts its finger on what changed from Sunday to Friday in these people's lives and gives us a word of caution and challenge because what happened to those people from Sunday to Friday is what happens in your heart and my heart every single day. So let's look at Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. 
verses 14 through 22. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Buy white garments from me that you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20 says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Preach, Frankie, preach. And those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understanding what he is, and understand what he is saying to the churches. Uh, the seventh letter is written to Laodicea. Laodicea uh, is number seven there. It's the, inner, like the furthest away from the coast town. It is the final of the seven letters that Jesus writes. And, and remember that the number seven in the book of Revelation isn't just an operation of counting. The number seven is symbolic. It speaks to the wholeness or completion. And so the, the words of this letter, while written to the Christians in Laodicea in the first century, are also written for us today. Though thousands of years old, though addressed to people we are very, very different from in a lot of ways, and yet very much the same with in a lot of ways, Those words still speak for us today, and Jesus speaks this. He says, I know the things you do. I know that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, Jesus has used this phrase before in the letters, hasn't he? He said, I know all the things you do. He, he gets up close. Jesus isn't just speaking on the basis of some Excel spreadsheet the church has to submit on a yearly basis. He is speaking as one who has walked among them and knows and has given a careful eye to the works of this church. And in the case of the church of Laodicea, he finds something lacking. They are, Jesus says, neither hot nor cold, Instead, they are lukewarm, and this is not good. This is counterintuitive. I actually like drinking lukewarm water, personally. I kind of like just room temperature water. Uh, but, but, but in the ancient Near East, in the Greco-Roman world, that's not really kind of the water that you drink. Um, Laodicea has two neighbors, a city called Hierapolis and a city called Colossae. And Hierapolis had hot springs, which were believed to possess medicinal effects. And Colossae had a fresh spring, a cold spring, which was also thought to be healthy. Uh, and, and, since, and, and in the ancient Near East and in the Greco-Roman world, it was commonly held that the beverages that you drank to be a healthy person were hot water or cold water or wine. And some of you are thinking, oh, I'm very biblically healthy. Um, 
What was interesting about Laodicea is Laodicea has no water source of their own, so it had to be piped in from one of their neighbors. And by the time it piped in, by the time it got to them, it was cold, uh, it was, excuse me, it was lukewarm and dirty, and it was really not fit for drinking. It was really only fit for spitting out of your mouth. And, and, and Jesus looks at the works of this church and says it's lacking in temperature. It is lacking in zeal and passion. It, it is lacking in energy, and borrowing this imagery from Laodicea's everyday life, Jesus says, your works are disgusting and dirty and lukewarm water that I would rather spit out of my mouth. It is super easy to feel disenchanted with church. It is super easy to feel disenchanted with church. Christians talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk, often in very public and embarrassing ways. Churches have an almost universal tendency to drift inward, to care more about the preferences on those, on the out, those of the inside than those on the outside, which is ironic because the church is the only organization that exists not for itself. Churches go through seasons of drama and conflict, which leaves some members holding all the power and others holding only wounds, which is why in church circles we joke that Christians are the only people that shoot their wounded. So interestingly, if you feel disenchanted with church, you're in good company because Jesus often feels that way. Jesus often feels disenchanted with church, which is why he calls the works of this church lukewarm. Jesus says their core issue, this lukewarmness, comes from indifference. Look at verse 19. It says, so be diligent and turn away from your indifference. Some of you have your Bibles open. It probably says something like, so turn away and be zealous or be energetic. Some translations render this negatively, others more in the positive. But in either case, the text is turn away from your indifference. Get energized. Wake up. Be alert. Be, what do the cool kids say? Woke. The Christians in Laodicea struggle with spiritual indifference and apathy. And it turns out it is indifference that was in the hearts and minds of the people of Jerusalem that first Palm Sunday. It was indifference. It was indifference that caused the events to go from what they did on Sunday to what they did on Friday. I mean, sure, in the crowds crying Hosanna and laying down their cloaks, there were people. There were people in that crowd that genuinely were excited and believed that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been waiting for, and they were celebrating his arrival. They genuinely believed that. But the vast majority of the people in the crowd just saw something happening and joined in. So that the small, other small group of people that really didn't like Jesus, that sent him to his death in front of the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, when that was going in, those same group of people joined in. It didn't really matter to them. Whether they were celebrating Jesus or killing him, it really didn't make a difference to them. They were spiritually indifferent. They just really didn't care. Here's another truth. Most of us feel disenchanted by church and most of us also feel indifferent, indifferent and apathetic towards spiritual things at least some of the time. That might be some of you this morning. Never really been super interested in God, never been super interested in church or in Jesus, but you stick your head into churches around this time of year to make your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa happy. And if there is a God, at least we've covered the bases, perhaps sticking my head in around Easter and Christmas every couple of years, make sure that the big guy and I are okay. You might pray in the midst of a trial or acknowledge God as a higher power if that would be helpful to you, but, 
At the end of the day, you don't really care. And by the way, this is the lie that a lot of Christians believe. A lot of Christians believe that our culture is outright against us. They're not. They don't care. They don't. They're indifferent. What happens in here on a Sunday morning makes no difference to them. They could join in or not. It doesn't make the difference to them. And some of us might feel that way. But here's the dirty secret. If you're feeling indifferent this morning, you're in good company again because most people, even the most devoted, on-fire followers of Jesus, experience indifference from time to time. Our faith becomes apathetic and boring, and it's a slow fade. It is. It's a slow fade. Because it's easy to write off the passion of your early days as craziness. It's easy to kind of write off the, the zeal that you first believed in Jesus as the folly of youth. And before long, time spent in scripture seems bland and boring. Prayer is nothing calls to mind the needs to clean your house like sitting for a moment and praying. Serving others is more of a ritual than an act of love. It's easy to slowly but surely move to a place where God is mostly an idea and a sentiment instead of a real living person. Jesus tells us how this happens in verse 17. He says in verse 17, you say, I am rich. You say, I have everything I want. You say, I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I mean, after two or three, Jesus, come on, let up for a second. Like, I'll be wretched and naked if I have to, but do I have to? Lord, Lordy, come on, take a chill pill. Spiritual apathy and indifference is what happens when we are out of touch with our spiritual need. Spiritual apathy and indifference is what happens to us when we are out of touch with our spiritual need. Spiritual apathy and indifference are what happens when we fall out of touch with our need. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Deuteronomy 8, we do not live by bread alone, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8.3, or perhaps most poetically, St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. It's really easy to lose touch with that sense of spiritual need and the hunger and the thirst that Scripture speaks of. It gets crowded out by the ordinary busyness of life, by our endless getting and striving and working for for fame and reputation and money. It gets crowded out by people, boyfriends, girlfriends, best friends, parents, grandparents. It even gets crowded out by church people, to be honest with you. It gets crowded out by people that drag us down. It gets crowded out when doing the right thing without the right heart and passion becomes just the modus operandi. It becomes the MO. We fall asleep to our need for God, for his grace and forgiveness and strength and protection and plan and provision. It's easy for those of us who are walking with Jesus on a regular basis, hear me on this, because I'm watching some of you burst a flame, right? And just really things are clicking. It's when you lose touch with your soul's ultimate and deepest need, which is for Jesus, that all of it starts to go lukewarm that you lose touch with that need, you become indifferent. On the other hand, some of us have like never gotten over the indifference and you're here and you're doing the thing because it's the right thing to do. I don't want to tick God off. I want to make sure I've got my bases covered. 
And again, in moments of great worry or trial or suffering, you might find yourself reaching out for something or someone, but in real life, there isn't a need for God. In the ordinariness, day-to-day operation of your life, there's no need for God because at worst, he sounds like a killjoy, and at best, he sounds like a party pooper. And there was that part in some book of the Old Testament where he killed a lot of people or something, and people tell me not to like that. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church for decades. It doesn't matter if you've been here for 10 minutes. We are all the same. And then this is how. This is how we are all the same. Do you remember in Shrek, ogres are like onions. They have layers. Humans are like ogres who are like onions because we also have layers. We have layers. And 18 layers down, whether you have been in church forever or not at all, and you've spent most of your life kind of being cool with God, but not really getting too close, 18 layers down is a roaring, screaming, all-encompassing hunger and need for Jesus. 18 layers down is an overwhelming, vast, roaring hunger for God. You have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. We are restless, hungry, thirsty, tired. What were the words that Jesus used that we don't like? We are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and, gosh, Jesus, naked. And the same Jesus that was run out of the city on the first Palm Sunday, the same Jesus that was celebrated, excuse me, the the same Jesus that was run out of town on Good Friday, the same Jesus that was celebrated on Palm Sunday, he is the only thing that can satisfy that need. He's it. And you can try a million different things, money, sex, power, Instagram likes, skill, success, religion, Nothing, nothing will satisfy the need. And you might numb it out for a little while. That's what sin is. Sin is ultimately just trying to turn down the volume on that need. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy that, which is why he says something remarkable in verse 18. So I advise you. I don't, this is like, when Jesus says, so I advise you, sorry, honey, this is like when I come downstairs and Steph says, is that what you're wearing? Okay. Okay. No, this is just my practice outfit. I'll be right back. Um, okay, that is not advice. I'm not sure when Jesus says, so I advise you, right? That he's just like, take it or leave it. Do you know what I mean? I think he's kind of like, okay, here we go. I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. Buy white garments from me and then you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. We seek after Jesus, and he offers us gold that will never perish, which is refined and purified by fire. Instead of striving endlessly and working to pro- almost to the point of addiction to provide for ourselves and to accrue wealth for ourselves, Jesus says, come and buy gold from me. I will, I will make Make sure I meet all of your needs. Jesus offers us clothing to cover our nakedness. And here's why the nakedness thing is important. Behind almost all of our sin is a deep sense of vulnerability. Do you know why you gossip about people? It's because it makes you, it makes everybody look at somebody else's nakedness and not yours. 
the reason we slander people is so that everybody looks at their nakedness and doesn't know that doesn't notice that we're the that king from the story that thinks he's wearing clothes that's not the emperor that's wearing clothes that's not sure there were invisible clothes that were not clothes is the point um this is why you spend as much time as you do like looking at who has liked what pictures you post and you care you care if we did not care there would not be a like button I even had to remind myself this morning, my confidence does not come from what I achieve. My achievements do not cover my nakedness. This pretty fly pink shirt does, but. (laughs) Jesus offers us ointment for our eyes so that we can see what really matters in a world of endless distraction. Remember we talked about idolatry a few weeks ago? that the highest risk of distraction is when you're on the verge of breakthrough. That idols become most alluring when you're on the verge of breakthrough. It is at that moment when you are literally, you're not just like about to turn the corner, you're like halfway through the turn that your idols will grab you by the neck and pin you to the ground. That's, that's when distractions become good. That's when even the best and most beautiful things rip us away from Jesus. And so... Instead of, being, instead of seeing poorly and being distracted, instead of being naked and doing everything we can to cover our nakedness, instead of being poor and doing everything we can to provide for ourselves, all of those things which, by the way, lead to spiritual indifference, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you what you need. I am in your midst and I know you. I, I can't really explain it for too long, but if you want to look at Isaiah 55, I feel like there's a lot of overlap here. Isaiah 55, um, I kind of had it in my notes. A, a funny thing happened this morning because about from this point on, a, a good week of sermon prep for me is I get to about 60 or 65% on Thursday, and I wake up early on Sunday, and I finish it. This plan always works unless I get a text at this point in the sermon revisions that the heat is not working in the Sanctuary at Grace Church, and we need to go and redo our whole Sunday, and we have all this extra stuff happening. So basically from this on is what I wanted to spend a half hour on and got eight minutes. But I think there's a connection between this passage and Isaiah 55, which maybe you could just reflect on later this week. He says, is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. I think there's an overlap where Jesus, isn't interesting where he says, come and buy these things from me. And the answer in some level is like, with what money? So Jesus in Isaiah through the prophet Isaiah says, just come and buy it and we'll worry about the finances later. It's like Jesus lends us money to buy something from him. So how does Jesus cure our indifference? Now, this is an interesting part of the sermon to preach because those of you who are indifferent right now have like literally already shut down. You're done. That's fine. So how does Jesus cure our indifference? He solves it in one little word. Look at Revelation chapter 3. Look at verse 20. The first word, look. Look. Behold. Look. 
look at me, Jesus says. It's like, when, it's like when a parent takes their child's face and kind of just very gently, not roughly, very gently just points it up to them so they can talk to them. He says, look. He says, just take a second and set aside your questions and your doubt and your cynicism. Actually, Jesus says, go ahead and bring the questions and the doubt and the cynicism. Bring your pride. Bring your selfishness. Bring your religion. Bring your indifference. Bring your apathy. Whatever you do, take a second Take one minute and look and see what's really happening. Look beyond the endless striving. Look beyond the endless image management. Look beyond the endless distraction of good but lesser things. Take a second and look to see this. Verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and then I'm really going to beat you up. Because I am so mad. No. If you open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. When Jesus came in on a donkey that may or may not have been named Rodeo, we'll just never know for sure. When Jesus came in on that first Palm Sunday as an as yet unknown named donkey, which may have been Rodeo or Rodeo's ancestor. He wanted the same thing then that he wanted on Good Friday as he hung there and bled out and suffocated to death. And he wants the same thing today, and it's a remarkably simple thing. He wants to be your friend. I no longer call you servants, Jesus says in John 15. For servants don't know everything the master knows. I call you friends. Because I have told you everything that the Father has told me. He doesn't want to push you around or shame you or guilt you. I know I say this a lot, but at his core, Jesus isn't pissed at you. And just waiting for an opportunity to like tell you. At his core, Jesus simply wants a friendship. He wants a meal The words that scripture uses of relationship with Jesus are ordinary and beautiful. Friendship and a meal. Wrapping our lives around his life is, yes, by the way, always a challenge. It is always an adventure. It is always a journey. But as we wrap more and more of our ordinary lives around his extraordinary life, we we find as we eat this meal that Jesus calls friendship with him, as we live our life with Jesus, we come to find our hearts grow strong. We, come to be, be, we become zealous and awake, not only to our spiritual need, but how Jesus responds to our need time after time after time after time after time. On Palm Sunday, Jesus came into Jerusalem and he came to the door and he knocked. And you know what we did? We shot him through the heart. On Palm Sunday, Jesus knocked on the door. We opened, we shoved him off the porch and began kicking him and kicking him and we did not stop until he was dead. Jesus offered us gold and we settled for 30 pieces of silver. He offered us sight and we settled for blindness. He offered us a robe and we settled for nakedness. On Palm Sunday, they told him no. They told him no. And to be clear, if you and I had been there, we would have done the same. 
We are the they. We're not smarter. We don't know more. Frankly, there's a good chance that even knowing what we know here, we would still make the same choice. We would still respond with indifferent. We told him no. And yet Jesus comes to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He comes to Laodicea in, in Revelation 3, and he comes to you and me today, and he says this. Look at, look at verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, who is the yes. There are so many moments in our day where we say no. There are so many moments in our lives where we say no to him. And what's so curious to me about Jesus is that he keeps saying yes even to our no's. And his softest yes is louder than our loudest no. But he keeps saying yes. And in a world that feels like most days, all it has to tell us is no. No, you can't have that you want, even though everybody else is getting it. No, you can't have that. No, you're not good enough. No, you're not strong enough. No, you're not this. No, you're not that. In a world of no's, Jesus comes to us as the Father's resounding yes over our lives. Such that Paul says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. Let's pray. Father, you insist on saying yes to us even when we say no. God, I, I love these, these. These are my beloved, and I know that they, in so many ways this week, I know that I, in so many ways this week, have said no to you. And yet you just keep coming. You just keep moving toward us. And you just keep saying yes. And for that, uh, we give you everything. It is your kindness that leads us to repentance. You coax us out of our nose with yes after yes after yes. And so Jesus, would you coax us out of what we're settling for? Would you coax us out of what we're distracted by? Would you coax us out of our wretchedness and nakedness and poverty to hear your yes? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to this table every week because it is our tangible reminder of God's yes in our lives. It is our tangible reminder that no matter how many times we have said no to him this week, there was not a moment that he didn't say yes. The night when Jesus was betrayed, he was in the garden and he said to the Father, if it is possible, remove this cup from me. And when God didn't really have anything to say about that, Jesus said, then not my will, but yours be done. In other words, he said yes to being broken. He said yes to being poured out. And in the eating and drinking of this meal every week, we hear his yes over and over again. And when we ask, am I worthy to come to the table? 
His answer is yes. When we ask, am I more than my failure? His answer is yes. So the way we take communion this morning or receive it is we'll, you can come forward, we'll rip off a piece of bread, you dip it in the cup. And as we say, taste and see that the Lord is good. We have gluten-free stuff too. Um, And so um, um, Aaron and Steph um, and Randy. So, Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of, I'm good, I'm clean. Which is good because I pet a donkey earlier. I did wash my hands, though, for real, because I think I might be allergic sometimes. So we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ. That even today we might taste and see your yes in our lives pray this in the name of Jesus, who is our yes. Amen. The table is open. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will never end. The people of Jesus have been singing singing and saying those words since 325. And they're still true. Jesus is your yes this week and today. And uh, here's what also we can say yes to. There's Nova Donuts, which is perfect proof that a loving and benevolent God exists. Uh, And then there is a little friend named Rodeo out, out front. So I love you guys so much. We'll see you next Easter. Bye.